I'm going to ask you, the congregation, to stand with me as we sing hymn number 32. Hymn number 32. Will you stand with me as we sing this, How Great Thou Art. <coughs> meeting tonight, if you would care to join us, is going to start at 5 o'clock. And for those of you who want to get home to the, uh, see the kickoff, uh, we're going to start a little bit earlier tonight. Uh, so please keep that in mind. Tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, we're going to meet right here. Um, so I would invite you to join us. I know uh, we always have a good time to be able to come and, and pray and uh, share. It's just a great time to be uh, with our church family. I do want to announce as well, I know you've been praying for my uh, tennis buddy, Jack Murray. Uh, he passed away yesterday morning. Uh, 
And so we're certainly saddened by that. Uh, things seem to go so quickly since October. You know, when I was on the court and he was hitting the ball quite hard. Uh, so pray for him, uh, pray for his wife, I mean especially, uh, that she might be able to get through this uh, very difficult time. I got the phone call yesterday morning. We were actually down uh, inside at a soccer match. My grandson was playing soccer, and so it was kind of hard to hear his wife as she was uh, explaining things. But I think she asked me, I must call her this afternoon, uh, to um, um, have that funeral. So I don't know, I, she said something about another man as well, so I don't know if we'll co-partner this thing. I'm just not sure, but I would covet your prayers on my behalf. This is not going to be an easy uh, funeral uh, to conduct, as they never are. But having been such a friend of Jack's, it's going to be a little more uh, difficult. Keep Denise uh, headings Nolt in prayer as well. She was here last week, and um, she's going through now uh, more chemotherapy. And we need to pray that this chemo would do what it needs to do in order to uh, bring healing to her. There are other things, of course, we need to continue to pray for. And uh, please use your list uh, to pray for these folks who really need us to lift them before the throne of grace. Now, Father, we come before you this morning. We recognize who you are. We acknowledge who you are that you are a great and awesome God. We've just sung about your greatness, how great you are. Father, we believe that. We believe that you are a God who rules and reigns the universe. You're the great creator of the universe. Father, you have made it all. You made us. Father, you've made us also, however, in your image, which distinguishes us from all other of your creation. You have create us, cre created us, Lord, in your likeness. And we thank you for that, that you have crowned us with great glory and honor. Father, we pray this day that uh, you would help us to honor you. I pray that, Lord, we might praise you and that you might be glorified in all the things that are done this morning. Father, we have a list before us of great needs. Father, we think of Denise. We certainly bring her before you, asking that this new round of chemotherapy might do what is necessary to rid her body of this dreaded thing we call cancer. Father, I pray for Cheryl Murray. I pray that you would give her comfort in this day, having lost her husband. I pray, Father, that uh, you would just overwhelm them, Lord, with your love. I pray now for this service. Father, we are thankful that we could come together once again. We're thankful, Lord, that when we come, you come as well. I pray that we might experience your great and wonderful presence among us, that your Holy Spirit might be free in our lives to convict, to change, to do what is necessary to mold and make us into the likeness of your Son. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has given his life so that we might have life. So this morning, Lord, we thank you that you have provided a salvation which is full and free, a salvation which only comes through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that we would remove the distractions from our lives. Help us to leave them outside so that here, in this place, we might be able to see Jesus. Father, speak to us clearly. Speak to us through the words of song, through the words of scripture, through the words of prayer. Father, speak to us. That's why we have come. We have come to hear from you and bring our praises before you as well. So you are an awesome God. And we thank you, Father, for this wonderful time that you've given us. We give it to you. And we do love you this morning, Lord, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. We 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us so we continue to worship the Lord together and singing to our everlasting God.
Okay, let's continue our services by singing hymn number 240. Hymn number 240, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Great. 
stanza then those in junior church can be dismissed stanza number four <clears throat> sin. There's a footnote in the NIV study Bible under that very verse, and it says this, God's grace is infinitely greater for our good than is Adam's sin for evil. God's grace is infinitely greater for our good than is Adam's sin for evil. I had a professor in seminary who referred to Romans chapter 5 as the much more chapter. The much more chapter. Four times in this chapter we have the words how much more. There's a contrast between Adam and Christ. A contrast between the first man and the second man. What Adam did, how much more Christ has done. The much more chapter. So the next time you think of Romans chapter 5, think of much more. Four times we read much more. Adam introduced sin. Adam introduced death. Christ brought righteousness and Christ brought life. These two men, Adam and Christ, sum up the message of the book of Romans up to this point. Adam stands for man's condemnation. Christ stands for the believer's justification. These two men sum up the book up to this point. Adam stands for man's condemnation. Jesus stands for the believer's justification. So having said that, let's look first of all at death that comes through Adam. Death comes through Adam, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Death through Adam. Verse 12 summarizes the story of the fall of man. Now, if you grew up in the church, you know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. 
You've heard it from Sunday school on up. How Adam and Eve, they ate of that forbidden fruit. And God said to them, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And there were a lot of trees, and God said you can eat of any of these trees. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. That's the command. Don't eat this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. Adam ate, and because of him eating of that forbidden fruit, sin has entered into the world, and death follows like a shadow. Through Adam comes sin. Through Adam comes death. You say, but wait a minute, didn't Eve eat first? Yes, she did, and we ought to blame her too. (laughs) But you know, the Bible blames Adam, not Eve, because Adam was the head of the race. Adam was the head of the race. And so the blame falls completely on the shoulders of man. Now, when the Bible speaks of death, it speaks of death in three ways. When God said to Adam, you will surely die. And when he ate of that fruit, he did die. He died physically, at least the process of physical death began. He died spiritually. He was separated from God. The Bible says that there is a physical death. There is a real physical death. When I think of death, I think of separation. That's the word that comes to my mind immediately. Death is separation. And at funerals, I always try to stress the point that death is separation. That there's a separation from body and spirit. That's physical death. And when Adam sinned, when he ate of that forbidden fruit, his body began to die. It began to decay. The process of death began. From that moment on, his body was decaying. It was becoming weak and feeble. But there's also spiritual death. And we find that to be the case with Adam as well. Because where was Adam after he sinned? He was hiding in the garden. And God comes and says, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. He was hiding because he felt shame. Shame because of the sin that he committed. Spiritual death is separation from God. Sin separates man from God. And all who are born into this world, there's a separation. But there's also, the Bible uh, speaks of, is eternal death. Eternal death. Once man dies physically, that separation from God, if they've never trusted Christ, it is eternal There is an eternal death, an eternal separation from God forever. Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, death entered the world. Death came through Adam. He bears the blame. The blame is on his shoulders. And then we read in verse 14 that... um, It presents death as this cruel emperor, uh, this cruel emperor uh, ruthlessly ruling over the human race. What is the death rate in the United States, let's say, as compared to China or Japan or some other country? 100%, right? 100%. You know, death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't matter where you live, who you are. Everyone dies. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. No one will ever come up with a cure for death. You know, we have cures for this and we have cures for that, but no one is ever going to come up with a cure for death. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. And it also says in verse 14 that Adam is is a type or he's a pattern of Christ. That is that through his one act of disobedience, through Adam's one act of disobedience, 
he brought ruin on the entire human race. But through the act of one man's obedience, that is Christ's obedience as he went to the cross, he brings life. Which leads us to point number two. Life comes through Christ. Look at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? Now there's our third time. We actually aren't going to read the first two times there in verses 9 and uh, 10. But here's our phrase, how much more? See, if, if the many died by the trespass, the sin of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Paul here is presenting a contrast. A contrast between Adam and Christ. There are some similarities in the sense that it was one man's disobedience brings death, one man's obedience brings life, but now he contrasts Adam and Christ. And the first contrast is that between sin and grace. If sin reigned, how much more will grace reign? Let me quote once again the NIV Study Bible that says this, God's grace is infinitely greater for good than is Adam's sin for evil. Jesus came into the world and was able to undo everything that Adam ruined. There's a principle, and if you have children, you, I suppose, will agree with this. It takes far more effort to clean up a mess than it does to make the mess in the first place. Now, if you have children, you know that to be true. It takes far more effort to clean up the mess than to make the mess in the first place. Here is Adam, and because of his one trespass, because of his sin, many, the many, which really we could uh, translate all men. He's not referring to just a few, but the many, all mankind, because of one man's trespass, all have sinned and, has, and, and will die. But Jesus didn't just reverse the effects of Adam's sin. He went on to do much more. This is the much more chapter. Romans 5, when you hear it said again, remember this is the much more chapter. So the contrast between sin and grace. But notice also the contrast between death and life. In verse 17 it says, death reigned, but then at the end it says we reign in life. You know the Bible says that the Christian has been given power to overcome sin. That we should be victorious in life. That sin should not get the upper hand in the life of a Christian. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we're sin free. But what I'm saying is that Jesus who indwells us, the Holy Spirit who has come into our lives, has given us power to be victorious. Now, when we come to chapter 6 next week, Paul is going to expand on this thought. Because in chapter 6, what Paul says is we died to sin. We no longer live under the power of sin. We now are new creations. We now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We have reigning within us the same power that has brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. And yet we so many times, we, we fall into sin. Oh, it was me. I just can't help myself. I, I just don't have the strength to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You have the strength. The Bible says the strength is in you. You have everything you need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, these words of Paul. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ, he lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. John Stott, he has a commentary in the book of Galatians. And this is what he says uh, in reference to that verse that I just read. That we are crucified with Christ and we're no longer really living our own lives. But it's Christ who ought to be living through us. He says this, Perhaps now it's becoming clearer why a Christian who is justified in Christ is not free to sin. You see, he's referring also to the passage there where it says if, if, if um, uh, sin abounds, grace more abounds. So why don't we sin more? Because the more we sin, grace abounds even more. Well, that's a terrible argument, but he says, you know, the Christian ought not be thinking along those lines. We ought to be thinking, how do we avoid sin? How do we stay away from sin? And he says, we who have been justified in Christ, we're not free to sin. In Christ, all things are passed away and all things now have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This is because the death and resurrection of Christ are not only historical events. They are that, of course. Jesus historically died on a cross, but he says they're not just historical events because in this verse that I just read, it says he gave himself and now lives. But the events in which, through a faith union, when we put our faith in Christ, his people have come to share. I have been crucified along with Christ. And now... I live. Once we have been united with Christ in his death, our old life is finished. It is ridiculous to suggest that we could ever go back to it. Besides, we have risen to a new life. In one sense, we live, in the, we live this new life through faith in Christ. In another sense, it's not we who live at all, but Christ who lives in us. And living in us, he gives us new desires for holiness. New desires for holiness. New desires for himself. New desires for heaven. It's not that we cannot sin again. We certainly can. We just don't want to. The whole tenor of our life has changed. Everything is different now. Because we ourselves are different. See how daringly personal Paul makes it. When he says, and again, he quotes this verse, or uses this verse in Galatians 2.20. He says, he makes it very personal. Um, Christ gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. No Christian who has grasped these truths could ever seriously contemplate reverting back to the old life. So Paul says here that because we've been crucified with Christ, we're living in a whole new realm we're living in the kingdom of god now with all the power and resources to be able to stand and we should be more than conquerors in this life not just conquerors but more than conquerors you know you come off of a basketball court and someone says boy we we whooped them what was the score well 52 to 50. no you didn't whoop them you might have come all off the court with a w but you didn't whoop them but he said, say someone else says, but we came off the court. The score was 146 to 6. All right. Now that's a victory. See, that's an overwhelming victory. That's the word Paul uses here. We're to be more than conquerors. We're to be overwhelming victors. Because we are new creations in Christ. We are not what we used to be. We now have the indwelling nature of Christ in us. And it's his power that flows through us. And we, it says here, we should be reigning in life. We ought to be victorious in life. We need to be more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. And then we come again to point number three, death through Adam. Now, that's not a misprint if you uh, are filling in your uh, sermon outline um, it's the same point as number one, death through Adam. But the death, as I said, there are three different kinds of death. And I believe when we come to chapter, or verse 18, uh, we're referring to uh, the uh, eternal death. 
rather than the death that was spoken of earlier. Look at verses 18 and 19. Consequently, uh, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For justice through the, dis the disobedience of the one man, the many, or all men, they were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Here we now see the word condemnation. Condemnation. Eternal death. Now we're referring to eternal death. Separation from God throughout all eternity. There's a word in the Bible, the Greek word krema, and it's, it's a sentence of a judge. It's a judge who, who places a sentence on a criminal. But there's another word, kata krema, and it goes a step beyond just a sentence. Kata krema is the word that's used here, condemnation. It's divine judgment against sin. It's the punishment that follows the penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is condemnation. The wages of sin is hell. Condemnation is eternal death. It's what the Bible calls hell, the lake of fire. There really is a heaven, and there really is a place called hell. And what Paul is saying here is that this eternal death, this condemnation, has come through Adam. When Adam sinned, everything changed. Death has entered into the world. Physical, spiritual, and eternal death. It has all entered the world through him. Now, hell, the Bible says, was never made for man. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. But Adam sinned. And it's as though God now opened the door of hell and said, all right, if this is what's taking place, then I need to have a place where man will spend eternity, those who die in their sins. And so God now says that there is condemnation for those who have never trusted in Jesus. The Bible says that when we are born into this world, that we were born with a sin nature. We were born with a sin nature. All of us. Every person born into this world, because of Adam's sin, we have inherited a sin nature. The Bible is quite clear, and Paul made it especially clear in these opening verses, that all have sinned, and fallen short of God's glory. They've fallen short of God's intention for man. God didn't intend for man to die. God put Adam in a perfect garden. But he sinned. He disobeyed God. And everything changed at that point. And death enters the world. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Paul is going to say in chapter 6, and we'll look at this next time. The wages of that sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, when you sin, you die. Sin brings death. Not only did you inherit a sin nature, but you also practice sin. Who of us could ever declare that we have never sinned? No, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the intentions of God. We violated his standards. We've, we've disobeyed his laws. God is a holy God. He expects holiness. But because we've fallen short, the wages of sin is death. You know, no one likes to talk about hell. And yet, you know, one of the most loving things I suppose a person could do is warn people of their eternal destiny. Let's suppose that you, on a very foggy evening, pitch dark, can't see 10 feet in front of you, and you're driving down the highway at a very, very slow pace because you can't see. 
and all of a sudden, off to the right, you see this sign that says, Bridge Out. But you're going slow enough to read it. You're going slow enough to see the sign and also see the detour. But you hear coming behind you someone coming at a tremendously fast speed. What would be the loving thing to do? Somehow warn them of impending danger. So you turn on your four-way flashers, you light a flare, and you do everything in your power to get this car stopped. You see, if people are dying and they're headed for a Christless eternity, the most loving thing that we can do is to share those things with them, to warn them of the danger that lies ahead. The good news, however, he ends with in verses 20 and 21, that there is life through Christ. There's death through Adam, but there's also life through Christ. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal death through Adam, eternal life through Christ. Grace does prevail over sin. Grace miraculously overwhelms sin. As deep as sin goes, grace goes even deeper. As wide as sin is, grace is even wider. When sin abounded, grace superabounded. Grace is greater than all our sin. This condemnation described here is what Jesus suffered on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us. He became sin for us. That he died on that cross. Was separated from his father. My God, my God, why? Why have you turned your back on me? Why, God, have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was bearing the sin of the entire world. The world of the, of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus there on the cross. And because Jesus died in our place, we now who trust in that saving grace, we are given eternal life. Eternal death is automatic. Man doesn't have to do a thing to be eternally condemned. What man must do in order to be saved from that condemnation is to trust Christ through faith. It's through faith in Jesus that brings eternal life. So, in Jesus, we get it all. <laughs> in Christ, we get it all. We get eternal life. We get an abundant life. We get a victorious life. It's all found in Jesus. In Christ, we get it all. I pray that you've trusted Christ and that you've received his gift of eternal life. I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a great course. Uh, we're going to go on our way rejoicing in the great and wonderful victorious life that Christ has given to us. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for the life that you've given us. Lord, it's a life that goes on forever. It's a life that never ends. Lord, you have promised it, uh, that a place would be prepared for us in heaven. Well, Father, we look forward to that day when we will be in your very presence forever and ever. But even here, Lord, in this life, this is a life of, of abundance. This is a life, Lord, of, of victory. Help us, Father, in this life to, to uh, be victorious and not be uh, those who fall into sin helplessly, but help us to draw, draw from your strength, draw from the fact that you, God, you're living in us. We do thank you for Jesus. Father, it is true that 
in him we get all of this. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close singing victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sin What the victory my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew Him and all my love is to Him. He plunges to victory beneath the cleansing blood. And I heard about of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought me the victory oh victory my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me and I knew Him and all my love is to Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing fire. And I heard he has built for me in glory And I heard about the streets of gold Beyond the crystal sea About the angels singing And the old redemption story And some sweet day I'll sing the bells of the victory Oh, victory my Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me and I knew Him And all my love is given He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing God, let's say it one more time Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. Bless the Lord.